0: Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Dan Carson. And on today's podcast, we'll be sharing the first of two episodes that cover an interview that Chris Vines and I had with Theo Davis about the subject of race and student ministry. Theo Davis serves as the multi-site youth pastor at Restore Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. He's worked in youth ministry for 15 years in a variety of roles and settings, which include church plants, rural churches, and megachurches on the East Coast and now in the Midwest. He received his degree in youth ministry from Eastern University in 2008 and has continued to leverage his education with real-world experience. He and his wife, Malia, are huge gamers and named their kids after video game characters Zelda and Shepard from The Legend of Zelda and the Mass Effect series. Theo also loves action figures and spends his spare time developing his musical and visual art talents. You can follow him on Instagram and Facebook at Theo underscore Davis, and then at The Davis Arts. You can also find them on the web at thedavisarts.art. You'll want to check them out. Now, Theo came to my attention when I ran across a Facebook post that He had shared entitled, Eight Things My White Friends Can Do About Racism. The post has gone viral and reached thousands of people now. But as I investigated who wrote this article, wrote this post, I found a fellow youth pastor who loves students and wants to help them navigate this world through the lens of the gospel. Our conversation was so informative that we decided to split it into two episodes, and you'll want to listen to both to get the full picture. We hope that you'll find it as informative and as challenging as we did. Let's listen together. Well, Theo, thanks for being on the podcast with us. We are really excited about uh, the opportunity to to have a great conversation about some tough things. And so thanks for being
0: with us. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. This is fun. Uh, I'm looking forward just to chatting with you and just exploring this topic a little bit more. Theo, let me
1: ask. Can you tell us just to to let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, maybe some background? All I know is what I've read on your social media post, which is you're a pastor, you're an artist, a husband, father, and black. Hmm. I know there's a little bit more to you. I know there's a lot more to you. You've had (laughs) 15 years in student ministry. Tell us some more.
0: Yeah, so uh, yeah, 15 years in youth ministry, and it's been a fun and wild ride. Um, I... Grew up on the East Coast, grew up in Washington, the Washington, D.C. area, specifically the county just outside of Washington, uh, Montgomery County, Maryland. Then I felt the call to ministry when I was a teenager. I went to Eastern University and got my degree in youth ministry with a minor in communication, met my wife there. We got married. I've uh, been married 11 years now and uh, yeah just just enjoying ministry so I've done rural ministry in uh, Lancaster Pennsylvania I've done uh, suburban ministry I've done some urban ministry so it's been cool kind of seeing, uh, ministry from this larger spectrum. My I've had a youth group as small as four in the rural area and have had a youth ministry as large as 500 across all of our campuses um, at my last location. And right now, um, you know, we within our here in Kansas City, the ministry size, uh, I've got maybe 30 or 40 middle schoolers and about 20 high schoolers. So nothing like massive or major, but man, God is moving through those kids. Um, Some other things about me. I am a local artist, so I love to paint. I love to draw, play piano, guitar, bass, all of the things. Um, Yeah, just super creative. And my wife and I are huge gamers. And so we have two kids. Uh, who we've named after video game characters. So our daughter is Zelda, who we've named after the Legend of Zelda series. And our son is Shepard after Commander Shepard from the Mass Effect series. And so that one's kind of fun because people usually assume like, oh, Shepard, you know, like a, like, like Jesus. Like, no, it's from a video game character. Um, but that's nice that you thought that. <laughs> so that's just a little bit about me.
1: Oh man. I love that. Um, I'm, I'm a gamer myself. I've been gaming off and on since I got my Atari 1600 back in way back in the day. Mm. Um, And so I play just a wide range of things, but um, I thought that was fantastic. I'm glad you shared that about your kids. I had heard on another podcast that they were named after video game characters and my wife is not quite that cool. I really (laughs) wanted a boy and a girl. Luke and Leah. That's what I wanted to name
0: them. Oh, that's the way to go, man. It would have been,
1: but my wife wasn't too keen on that. So we have, you know, good
0: family names now.
1: So that's
0: good. That's good. Well, you're still married. So, you know, you work through it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you I know you're in the Kansas City area now. Um, I've had a chance to talk to a couple of guys from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary on some interviews. Um, they've told us some good barbecue places. If if I'm in the Kansas City area, what's a place that I want to make sure that I eat at up there?
0: Okay. So I'm still I've I've only been here two and a half years and they are very serious about Uh, They're barbecue, so I hesitate (laughs) not listing everything. Um, So I'm going to list multiple places because I will hear it if... I only list one or two places because uh, everyone has their opinion. But uh, I love Slaps. That's on the Kansas side of Missouri, uh, of uh, Kansas City because Kansas City is kind of uh, it spreads into two states. So Slaps is a great place, award winning place. There's also Joe's KC Barbecue, which is also on the Kansas side, which is great. Um, there's Gates Barbecue, which is phenomenal. Really like uh, their locations. And uh, oh, I, how can I forget Oh no, I'm blanking on the name right now. Uh, 39th, uh, Q39, Q39. Q39 yeah. Yes. They, uh, they're on the Missouri side and just fantastic barbecue, a little more upscale. That's where I take all my friends and family for their first experience. Uh, and then we kind of like dive into the underbelly of the finger licking good stuff from there. Nice. Nice.
1: <laughs> well, today, uh, I've invited Theo to be a part of our conversation because, um, he is as as his Instagram uh, bio had said he is a youth pastor or he's pastor he's an artist he's husband he's father he's black. And if you are uh, listening and and you haven't met me or Chris you know that we are two white guys. <laughs> and many that are connected into our churches are are white. And so there's been a lot going on in our our communities in our country and so we're at a place where we really want to spend some time talking about the issue of race, about racism, um, and then how do, we, how do we make a difference with our students? Mm. Uh, we don't want to continue a legacy of racism. We want to fight those things because we know that scripture talks about being one in Christ. We want our churches, in my mind, I want my church to look like heaven's going to look like. And heaven is going to look like people of all creeds and nationalities and backgrounds all together worshiping King Jesus. And so, man, that's really important to me. But for me to understand that, not be able to take steps towards it, I need to be able to understand more. And so that's why I've asked Theo to be here. And like I said, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes uh, with us as, as we do this. I've got a couple of questions just kind of to get us started. Perhaps Chris has, has a question or two as we kind of work through some things, and then we're going to get into that list of eight um, that you've shared. Um, this first one, and excuse my ignorance, but again, I want to be as transparent and I want to ask what may seem like a silly question. Do most in the black community prefer black or African-American?
0: Oh, that's a great question. And just so you know, as we're going through this conversation, like, don't feel like you need to uh, tiptoe around questions or try and say things in the most PR way possible. Uh, We're just we're a bunch of Christians who are going to have grace with one another. And uh, yeah, let's just let's just talk about it. So but that's a good question. Uh, It it depends. Um, So what I found is that when I was in the D.C. area, which is very political and they're really politically mm-hmm. correct, people tend to say African-American, African-American. Um, when you are in other parts of the country, they tend just to say Black. To me, I'm not offended either way or, or have a preference either way. I use them interchangeably, and I believe that most people do. But for those who are in positions of uh, public office or public officials, they tend to use African-American a bit more just because that's the more, um, I guess, uh, I guess politically correct way of saying it. But black is just as good. So we can say, like, I'll say black, I'll say African-American, I'll say people of color. Um, So there's a lot of different terms and varieties of of using it. So let me add
1: in our conversation today that, you know, Theo represents... He is a black youth pastor, um, but he is also just a youth pastor. He's just a guy, and and we're Chris and I are just a couple of white youth pastors. But we don't represent our entire race, mm. <laughs> and so as as we share, that's I think that's important for us to note. Mm. Uh, but man, some insight—that's that's what I'm looking for. And so, in from your perspective. That that can be used interchangeable, Mm -hmm. except maybe in a more formal setting, we might use African-American. Is that what I'm hearing?
0: Yeah, that's what I think. Um, When I see, you know, depending on even when I'm reading books, if I'm reading a very academic book, they'll tend to refer to um black people as african american if it's more of a casual book they'll 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 just say black and but it's there's really not a hard and fast rule i see it interchangeably uh so much so you don't have to worry about stumbling like oh did i say african american or black okay. um yeah it's perfectly fine
1: well we have We have three ladies of color in our church. i watch our people stumble and struggle with, okay, how do I refer to? Are they Mm. the three black ladies? I mean, they're three sisters. And so Mm -hmm. then they've just found a home in our church and we're accepting and and I've loved that. Uh, But it's, it's been that question. So how do we say those things? So, well, okay, I've got, um, this one's a little bit harder um, as we go forward. So as a black man in America. What does the phrase "Black Lives Matter" mean to you?
0: Yeah, so that's a <clears throat> that's that's an interesting one. So I think when we talk about that phrase, there's two things, uh, three three thoughts on that. First, I don't think that people understand that Black Lives Matter, the phrase slash movement is separate from Black Lives Matter's, the organization. So Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. the, the hashtag, the phrase, the, the movement uh, was started on Twitter by, uh, I believe it was a black woman and she used that hashtag. And over the years, it kind of caught on a little bit. Um, and then there's a separate organization that grabbed a hold of that name and has been using that name to continue to champion Black issues, uh, Black concepts, uh, th- things that matter to this particular organization. And it's not a Christian organization. It's just an organization that promotes things for uh, Black lives. But even me as an uh, African-American, a Black guy, uh, there's, there's some things with the organization that you know, I wouldn't particularly support. I support their whole overall kind of vision and mission of what they're trying to accomplish, but some of the approaches and ways that they go about it, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of. So it's important to create that, dis- that, to distinguish the fact that Black Lives Matters as a, a phrase, as a rally cry is different from the chaptered organization, which does great things, but, but it is a separate entity, which also uses that phrase. And then finally, the third thing that I would say, you know, I know that a lot of uh, my white friends originally, when the phrase first started coming up, like originally took offense to it. And so they would uh, post things on their Facebook or their Instagram um, or even in face to face interactions would express the fact that, well, it's not just black lives that matter, like all lives matter, which is true. A hundred percent true. And I and I I understand where they're coming from. Or another popular phrase that we hear even today is that blue lives matter. Hey, our, our men and mm. women in law enforcement who work so hard, and I, I personally appreciate Law enforcement, a great deal. They tend to see the underbelly of society. They tend to see the worst of the worst. You know, they're not called because, you know, an ice cream truck flipped over and they need help cleaning it up. They're called because, uh, there, there's a problem. There's a sin problem that's happening and they have to try and mediate and address it. Um, and so we hear this phrase, blue lives matter. What I would caution my white friends with is that that's actually like incredibly offensive to the african-american community because we're trying to bring light to a particular issue and by saying all lives matter you're now not making it about this issue of race which we're trying to bring to the forefront but you're uh you're just spreading it out again and we can't have a conversation around it i i i heard a a good analogy of jesus when he told the story of the good shepherd and how the good shepherd left the 99 to go after the one. Now the 99 weren't complaining. Hey, Jesus, why are you so focused on the one? Why are you leaving us? Um, But the shepherd left to go after the one because the one was lost. The one was the one who needed focus at that point in time. The one needed to be brought back in to matter uh, while the 99 were safe. And so I I never want my my white friends to feel as though we're trying to elevate Black lives above others. That's not the message at all. The message is actually that we see systemic injustice happening to the African-American community. Um, and, and that's factual on, from a variety of standpoints, which we can talk about. But um, what we're trying to do is bring to light that, hey, black lives matter. Uh, it's not to diminish uh, any other life or any other profession, but it's to bring to light this plight that African-Americans find themselves in.
1: I've tried to wrap my mind around that. Um, it, is a, it was a struggle for me. Um, because I've, I've always thought, well, all lives matter, or as you said, blue lives matter. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the, the thing that has helped me a little bit is when I started thinking about all these pink ribbons that I see in October Mm -hmm. or other times of the year when they highlight, um, breast cancer awareness, And I don't know, and you can tell me if this is completely off base here, and we can edit this out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But as I look at that, that's saying, okay, breast cancer is important. That's we need to highlight that. Right. Well, guess what? My grandfather died of colon cancer, Mm. but that pink ribbon is saying breast cancer is the most important. Well, what about the colon cancer that took somebody's life? I got to imagine in my mind, and that may be an oversimplification is that black lives matter. Is that that bright ribbon that's saying, Hey, look at this now because this is a huge problem. All these other ribbons. So they're important. Yeah. But
0: guess what? This one needs the help right now. Is that, is that close to accurate? Yeah, I would say that's close to accurate. And again, it's not diminishing all the other cancers that are out there that need to, that need care and attention and fundraising. Um, but yeah, like for, for one month and I forget which month it is like we focus on breast cancer, um, to raise awareness for breast cancer because of how I think, I think one of the reasons is because of how prevalent breast cancer is among all the different cancers. I I'd have Mm -hmm. to do some research on that, but I would imagine that Breast cancer affects a, a good chunk of all the cancers, which is another reason why it might get uh, that special attention during whichever month it is. Well, Chris,
1: do you have any specific questions that you'd like to to ask Theo?
0: Oh, man, I'm, I'm enjoying
2: listening to you, Theo. Uh,
1: <laughs> man, what, one question I have, and this just
2: kind of gets right, it, it kind of just cuts right to feelings which I don't always I don't always get right to I like to hear what people think and hmm. I certainly want to hear what you think but but I'm really curious just with in light of all the recent events and in light of the protest that we see going on and and just everything everything that is happening right now how how do you, how do you feel uh, and how did it how did how did you feel whenever the news of of George Floyd you know, broke. What were just some immediate thoughts and feelings that you had?
0: Yeah. Good, good question. Yeah. For, for me, emotional exhaustion for sure, because although America as a whole, and even those who are listening to this right now, you know, you're familiar with George Floyd for sure. Um, you may even be familiar with Ahmaud Arbery, um, but there are so many more names That happen every single week. And depending on, you know, your source of news, your source of information, the communities you find yourself in, you may or may not be aware that this is just, this is just another drop in the hat. I think what's made the George Floyd incident reverberate around the globe at this point is because there's footage of it from start to finish from multiple yeah. angles. And it's, it's just a horrifying thing to watch. But for me, like part of it was part of my, my reaction was like, oh, not again. Um, you know, cause the, like, the, I, I tend to see these things constantly um, whether it is on, you know, the national news or the local news or uh, on certain websites, and then the families just can't get traction or awareness because they don't have money, or because uh, there's not enough video evidence. And so, on one hand, this is something that I I see and I hear every single week. Um, on the other hand, just the you know again, the video is horrifying, but uh, it just it's heartbreaking because that could be, that could have been me. And that could have been, you know, any one of my African-American friends that could have been, yeah, it's, it's certainly emotional to watch as uh, this man is pleading for his life and there's no mercy that's being granted. So um I'm, I'm definitely emotionally exhausted because of just, just all the conversations that I have around this um, because a lot of my uh, uh, because I'm, and just for further context at my church, my church is a mostly white church. I'd say about 90% white and then 10% mixtures of other things. And being one of the, one of the two staff members at our church, that's black. I get a lot of questions from our church members, just asking and wanting to process and, and I'm totally cool with that, but it it can be exhausting because for me, it's reliving, uh, that trauma over and over and over again. Um, and sometimes for my white friends, like they can, they can think about it, they can acknowledge it for a minute, but then they can go back to life as normal. Mm. Whereas for me, it's, it's a life that I live and that I'm, uh, that I need to be aware of every single day. So I can't kind of lean into it and then lean away from it as I choose, uh, being a African-American male. And so, um, so I appreciate these conversations because it's bringing this more to light um, of the plight of African Americans in our country and it makes it easier for us to talk about it versus kind of keeping it all to ourselves so does that yeah. does that make sense
2: Absolutely. absolutely and I, I think yeah. it's it's just it's it's good to hear that Theo because I think it helps us have an, a better understanding uh, in order to sympathize with with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we we know that as I drive down the road and I see protests and as I turn on the TV and, and look on the Internet and I see all the events, I'm going to feel a certain way. Uh, but also, I'm a, I'm a white male. And so that's going to affect a lot of times my feelings, not not in total, but it will. And so it's just that was a curious question I had. And and I really want to ask this next one just to flow out of it, because you wrote a great article. Um, and And I know we're about to get to that last last weekend. Many pastors uh, and preachers of the Word had to make a decision to either address the current issue from their pulpits on Sunday or to move forward as normal. And so my question is this, how do you keep yourself from allowing this one particular issue, which is so important, to to not affect the, the regular efforts that you have in ministry. Uh, I mean, so I I could see how it could be very easy and tempting for you to make every sermon about this or to have every outreach Mm. opportunity about this. Mm. Um, so you you have to, I'm just assuming this is my assumption is that it's probably pretty difficult for you, but man, correct me if I'm wrong on that. What, what are your thoughts toward that question?
0: Yeah. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. it It actually isn't what um you might think the answer is. My tendency is to actually not talk about it. Okay. Um, because uh, because because of the audience that I'm ministering to. And so um because I'm a Afri- because I'm a black guy at a mostly white church, um and I'm fairly new in this area in Kansas City uh the, the last thing I want to do is come out of the gates. All right, we got to do some <laughs> civil justice, some, you know, criminal justice reform and all this stuff. Like, you know, that that's the last thing that I want to be seen as yeah. is like, oh, no, like here comes like the social justice warrior. And like, <laughs> no, that's that like that's a that's such a strong hesitation of mine because. Uh, you know, I, I believe I believe the I believe the gospel's the main thing. I believe Jesus is the main thing. I want our kids, regardless of the color of their skin, to have a rich and thriving relationship with Jesus, that they would read his words for themselves, apply it to their lives, and then that 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 would uh, create life change that would um, motivate them to do some of these things that have been, issues over the last couple of years. Now, having said that, once I have, you know, built up some rapport with the community, once they kind of know me, they know my heart, um, before I start talking about any serious issues, whether it's sex, whether it's uh, you know racial issues, criminal justice, whatever. I really want them to get a sense of who I am and that I love their kids, I love these teenagers, I love our church that I'm established here with my family. Um, so, so that when I do start bringing up the harder things, which we have done, um, they are more receptive of it because now there's a, a relationship that's been established. So last year, my senior pastor and I, uh, Troy McMahon, who I, I just admire so much, he's a white guy, big beard, cigar smoking, lead pastor, motorcycle ride. It's crazy. He's a super cool guy. Yeah. Um, But uh, we actually began talking about this ourselves, but through his prompting, actually, Um, we read this book together called Wide Awake. And then we had a conversation about it. Then we took the whole staff through it. And that led to us actually having a conversation on stage on a Sunday morning, talking about race um, talking about the woman at the well, talking about his experience and my experience. and it was it was this really great starting point for this ten year old church plant of initiating some of these conversations. And so from that point, uh, I did feel more free to embrace the fact that I am a black youth pastor at this mostly white church. Um and so uh, to answer your question, uh, from that point forward, I would refer to race from time to time if it was in a message to the teenagers or if I was speaking to the church as a whole, like I might drop a, a one liner thing in there just to kind of bring it to the forefront. Yeah. But for the most part, like of all the messages that I've taught or Bible studies that I've led, I may have mentioned it five or six times um, over the course of the last year. And it, it's super brief, kind of just as an action point, just like I would give any other action mm-hmm. point. Um, mm-hmm. but it's an intentional action point. And I'm always very, uh, I plan that well in advance because I never wanted to come off the wrong way. Sure. Uh, and I want to give them the the best action point possible. Uh, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So that's, good. that's very good. One final question. Mm-hmm.
2: Are you a cigar smoker? <laughs>
0: I am not, you know, uh, I came, uh, Troy asked me that when they were hiring me and brought me out here. And I said, you know, I, I smoked, uh, three cigars back in college and I haven't done it since because the last church I was at was like no smoking, no drinking. So, you know, okay, no problem. Um, and then I tried it and oh, it just made me so sick. And I was like, sorry, (laughs) I can't i can't fellowship with you in this instance uh you know we can we can do some other stuff. you want to go to the art museum I can do that um, <laughs> so yeah, awesome
1: one of the main reasons that we called you, you know, to to set up this interview, Theo was with the possibility of you sharing a little bit from uh it was actually a Facebook post that I had read, but then I found out that download youth ministry had asked you to to change it and turn it into a um, an article. So which one came first, the article or the post?
0: Yeah, the um, uh, the post came first. And okay. so, uh, yeah, the post came first. And then uh, they eventually found out about the post and asked if I could kind of redo it for the purpose of like speaking specifically to white youth pastors versus just sure. my white friends.
1: Sure. Yeah, the post um, was great. Eight things my white friends can do about racism. Man, I latched on to that again as I've, I've said it was, came at a point uh, I think when my mind and my heart was ready to hear this. And so I'm just thrilled by that because my story is probably like many. It's just been I've what you were talking about earlier, the ability to focus in on it and then turn it off hmm. and then go on, but this is your life right. and you're not able to do that. And so that it, it's, it's just bothered me and it's frustrating me. And now it is, it's a point where I must speak up. I must do something. I must be an ally rather than just ignore the situation when it's, it's not there. And so mm. what I wanted to do was to talk through these eight things that you've listed, because on the, the, the article that you had shared with them was Eight Things White Youth Pastors Can Do About Racism. So either venue, it, I think they were the same concepts. But again, as we're talking to student ministry workers, as we are looking at this we know that we have a responsibility to to preach god's word to share the truth that Jesus has laid out for us and then to give that to students so that the gospel can transform their lives um, but you've you've got some great things here so i just i'm going to mention that and then let you share about each one as as you feel so the first thing that you have listed is that we should lament hmm. what do you mean by that
0: yeah, um, that, that's good. And, and even before I I jump into that, um, just a little more context for your listeners. Uh, again, I'm just I'm just an average Joe. I'm just an average youth pastor. There's really nothing super special about me. But what I had noticed from my white friends, every time these you know racially charged incidents happen in our communities and nationally. I see my white friends uh, get on social media and say like, oh, like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And um, most recently I had a bunch of people reaching out to me just saying their heart was broken, but they don't know what to do as a white person. And I just noticed there was just this hesitation and just this uncertainty among my white friends of even how to engage, you know, like the African-American community will... Uh, lament and say like, you know, do something, do something. Uh, I think a piece that sometimes is missing is the practical, well, what can we begin doing uh, e- e- just on the personal level, not even for those government officials and those who write laws, but just in our in our communities in the South, in the North, in the Midwest where I'm currently at. Um, and so that's really the heart from where this all comes from. So I, I don't want people to think like, well, who's this guy telling me what to do and how to think now it was, this was originally intended just for my friends, but it got shared uh, 6,000 times and not I wow. <laughs> yeah. And I had people, I've just had people from across the country and even from Europe now just reaching out to me, asking me questions and I'm super humbled with the opportunity, but it just goes to show that there's just not enough voices Uh, speaking to our white brothers and sisters, trying to equip them for those who are interested in trying to make a change, make a difference. And so you bring up the first one, which is lament. And that's, that's a, that's a Jesus idea. That's a, that's a Bible, biblical idea. This idea of just deep grieving. That's what it is. Like there's a whole book in lamentations that's all lamenting when we look at the Psalms, Psalm after Psalm after Psalm. In fact, I believe more of the Psalms are about lamenting than anything else, just kind of grieving over different things. It might be about praising God. Don't quote me on that, but it's one or the other. And uh, this idea that we should be lamenting privately and publicly. And so uh, what I mean by that is that when we see these these events that happen, uh, when you hear these stories within your own community, uh, one of the first things we should do is we should we should grieve ourselves. We should get into our prayer closet. We should get by ourselves and just talk to God and acknowledge like, Lord, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened to my friend or my friend's friend. Or I can't believe this happened in this part of the country um, or whatever, whichever part of the country, just for us to really uh, grieve the bible says to weep with those who weep uh, jesus said that and so that's that's like a first step for us just to make it personal and to, to grieve privately, but also grieving publicly. Uh, we see many instances in scripture where people will rip their clothing and will put on sackcloth and ashes and go into this very public state of mourning, whether it's the death of a loved one or just the, the state of their nation, the nation of Israel. We see that over and over in scripture. And so I believe that it is healthy for us to grieve publicly as well, not as a not as a show, not as a PR stunt or move, but to um, let your friends, your family and whoever else know that, hey, this breaks God's heart. It breaks my heart. I'm grieving with the black community or the Hispanic community or whatever it is. Um, I'm grieving that this injustice is happening. And um, and that is. And what that does, that means so much to the people of color in your community, because I know sometimes we feel like we don't know what to say, right? We don't want to say, uh, or my white friends don't know what, don't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, Grieving publicly is never the wrong thing and just lamenting what's happened. So that's what I would say uh, when it comes to lament.
1: Is that where joining in the public protests that we see?
0: Is that a part of that piece piece? It can be. It absolutely can be. I, you know, I, um, I think that that, like, I don't want to, I definitely don't want to pressure anyone to do something they may or may not be comfortable with, but, right. um, but yeah, joining in with a public protest, joining in with a March, joining in with a sit in, um, I think those are all valid ways of publicly lamenting. Um, I know that's what a lot I've been to to two. I've been to one protest in Kansas City and to one march and uh, they were completely peaceful when I was there. Um, it's not until, uh, nighttime when people just won't go away. And some of those people are just trying to cause trouble. And that just, it grieves me that there are people who do that. But, um, but yeah, I would say that that is a form of lament. And right now it's interesting. Um, I believe, I truly believe that this is, this is a moment in history, and I'm not sure everyone is understanding that. I, I believe so strongly that this could be our Rosa Parks moment, the spark which sets um, sets an enormous amount of change to happen and when you when you walk with protesters, when you sit in, when you lament publicly. Um, all of these things, you're making your voice heard. You're making it known that this is not acceptable, um, and it's it's spreading so much that right now in New Zealand, Australia, the streets of Paris were flooded with protesters. Um, this is this is a movement that's happening across the globe, uh, all because of this particular spark. Well, let's let's go
1: on number two that you have listed. is If a person of color ever came to you mentioning some injustice they felt, believe us. And don't try to explain away what happened immediately.
0: What I what I've experienced before um, is, and this is both with your personal friends and what happens, events that happen on the news and the media, like uh, Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd, that when. A person of color comes to you. You become aware of this event. I think out of a good place, uh, my white friends would try and make the situation better because we're we're problem solvers, right? We wanna we wanna solve the problem if there is a problem. Uh, sometimes the tendency is to try to explain away what happened. So, for example, oh no, that 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 you know, it's not what you think, or they didn't mean that, or they they just said that in jest. They're really a good person, or I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure it was just a misunderstanding and for a person of color, a black person, Hispanic person, whatever it is, uh, when they come to you, trust me, they have thought about this. They have questioned in their mind, like, do I bring this up with my white friend or not? And and, and this was it's very intentional that they do this. And your response is going to let them know whether you're a safe place or not to to express these hardships, to talk about these pains that they're experiencing on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. Um, and so I would say in those moments of hearing stories, Before we judge and try to explain away or give excuses, valid as sometimes they may be, let's just pause and let's just, again, grieve and lament with that friend of color. Or if it's the nation that is shocked by it, sometimes what I tend to see is digging into uh, the event to try and explain away why maybe police officers did what they did or why other individuals did what they did or another common practice that the black community is very aware of that happens is the the try and um, just dig up as much dirt on the black, the person of color uh, to sp- to show them in a different light that, oh, well, well, it was a criminal or, uh, you know, they do have a bit of a shady history. But when I read my Bible, I read in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And so I I think that we just need to pause and we just need to recognize that um, when a person of color comes to us with a situation of injustice that's happened to them, that we need to just listen and not try to explain away because what that does is it opens up dialogue and a conversation uh, that otherwise may not be open to you um, and could be closed off to you for years to come as a result of how you respond to the situation. Um, Since I've been here, In Kansas City, Missouri, Um, again, I was originally from D.C. and the Philadelphia region, you know, went to school out there. And I would say that I I definitely noticed some racial things from time to time. Uh, They were never overt. They were always kind of under the surface. Maybe a look, maybe a security person might follow me around at a big box store. Um, None of my white friends have, have experienced that, but I've experienced it multiple times. Uh, But when I came to Kansas City here in the Midwest, I've experienced more overt racism in the last year and a half, in the last two and a half years than I have my whole life. To be able to express that to my white brothers and sisters, uh, it was so important for me. It was so important to be able to have some safe places where they weren't going to question. Every story I brought to them because I have lots and lots of stories. Um, and it doesn't happen to them. They don't get followed in stores. They don't get chased out of stores at a big box store and be accused of stealing something and then be told that they were going to call the law. You know, they weren't, you don't get blocked in by security personnel at, uh, at, at certain locations. You don't have guns drawn on you by police officers. This just happened to me, uh, two weeks ago where, Uh, It's a whole situation. But what I did is uh, I filed a complaint with the KCPD, talked to the sergeant. We had a great conversation. But these are things that don't happen to my white brothers and sisters. And so once they started seeing this and noticing it, it really started clicking with them. Whoa, you're experiencing something that I'm simply not experiencing. So uh, again, listen when, um, when these events happen, I would say that's the key thing.
2: This, this short little paragraph, this point number two that you wrote in this article, I really appreciated because of everything that you just said, I'm not going to try to elaborate all over again, but you, you did make the point, uh, more than once how, how serious of an impact, you know, this, this had on, on you. You just express that in some of these stories that you're, you're, you're telling us and, and you, you make the, the biblical point that Jesus says to weep with those who are weeping. And um, it is so tempting for me personally, whatever the situation is, uh, whatever the issue, is to think that I can come out guns a blazing with all the answers. And mm. and and I, man, I needed to hear that. And I needed to hear that from uh, in, in this particular context. You know, Jesus does not tell us. Get all your facts right. Get all the reasons why they're weeping and then weep with them. He just says, Mm -hmm. weep with those who are weeping. And so, um, you know, I I just wanted you to know that I appreciated that. uh, And it it was very, very helpful to me Mm -hmm. as
1: I read that.
0: That's good, man. That's good. And that's good insight as well.
1: Be sure to download and listen to part two as we cover the other six things on Theo's list. And we continue the conversation about race race. And student ministry. Now I know this is a tough topic, but it's one that we must discuss, that we must talk about, and we need to do the hard things. Why? Because student ministry matters.
0: Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters Podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.